Welcome to the Discipleship Helps Podcast. This podcast is designed to accompany you as you work through the book, Discipleship Helps. This book guides us through foundational doctrine every disciple should know. From time to time, you'll be able to pause and write your answers to the questions in the workbook. We encourage you to read each scripture and cover this journey in prayer. So without further ado, let's begin. We hope you enjoy. All right, shall we get to it? Lesson six, the Bible's reliability. This one was wordy. <laughs> this one was wordy, yes. When you think about this book, do you have a newfound appreciation after reading some of this information? Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. We recognize how impossible this book is. It's impossible. Amen. And we're holding it. Amen. That God would write a book. And that we would be holding it. And we would be studying it. Wow. God has spoken to man. That is the great truth behind our concern for the Bible. And because he has been pleased to speak to us, we dare not neglect his word. Leon Morris said this in the authority of the Bible today. Key scriptures. 2 Timothy 3.16 Lindy, read that out for me, would you? All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Voice of an angel. (laughs) Proverbs 30, 5 through 6. Josh, would you read that out for us? Every word of God is flawless. Say that again. Every word of God is flawless. Come on. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, or he will rebuke you and prove you a liar. Wow. Do not add to his words, or he will rebuke you and prove you a liar. Uh, Shane, throw up Jeremiah 1.9 if you could. Just because we got so much to get through tonight, we're going to try and fly, because I want to make some time at the end for us to ask questions. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I have put whose words? My words in your mouth. And then give me uh, 2 Peter 1, 20 through 21. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will. But prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Have you ever been speaking and you know that you know I am filled with the Holy Spirit right now and I am speaking words that are bigger and better than my own words? Yeah. yeah. You ever felt that? Yeah. Right? So that's what he's explaining. And now what if you were to write those down? And what if God was making these scripture? That's what the scripture is. The Holy Spirit is speaking through these men. They wrote them down. You say, okay, well, I'm not convinced. That's why we have this lesson. Okay. Uh, what two things can we know for sure that the above scriptures teach? That God breathed what? Or what is God breathed? All scripture is God breathed. And what's the other one? And every word of God is flawless. Those two things. All scripture is God breathed. Every word of God is flawless. Introduction. The core of Christian doctrine and teaching is based on the validity of one book, the Bible. 
We believe the 66 books of the Bible are wholly inspired by God himself, solely authoritative on matters of theology, worship, and ethics, and completely infallible in the truth they proclaim. This is the claim that true biblical Christianity makes. Therefore, the foundation of everything we'll learn about in our time together in Finding the Rock Discipleship section is based on the truth contained in the Bible. The Bible is the 66 contiguous books of the canon of Scripture almost exclusively written, protected, and transmitted to us by the Jewish people. So the people that wrote it, shepherds, kings, poets, priests, fishermen, merchants, doctors, they wrote us these books. Uh, five... Uh, are priests, four are kings, 13 are musicians. Kind of interesting. Uh, Moses wrote the most. He wrote 125,000 words of the Bible. <laughs> Paul wrote 13 books of the New Testament, but Luke wrote more than Paul. Really? Interesting. We see there are four major factors that lend to the uniqueness of the Bible. These are a little wordy, but listen. Quantity and quality of biblical manuscripts. So when you think about biblical manuscripts, you think about the quantity or the number of manuscripts. And when you think about manuscripts, just think documents. Right? So documents that were found, the quantity of them and the quality of the documents that are found, let us know that this is real. Okay, that someone in 600 A.D. didn't sit down and write all these things and try and pass it off as a Bible. Okay, that's not what happened. This is what we're talking about during this section. Where did this come from and why can we trust it? The second, the internal consistency of the Bible's message. If it had been written by one author, would it be that extreme that it was consistent? If it's written by... 40 authors all at the same time. Would it be extreme if it was consistent? Yeah. No. But if it was written by all these authors over hundreds of years, and they're in different places at different times and with different backgrounds and different vocations, different training, going through different things, and it's still a consistent message, is that extreme? Yeah. Yes, for sure. Number three, archaeological findings and their attestation to biblical events. So when people find things in archaeology, it doesn't disprove, it affirms. Number four, prophetic proclamations and their fulfillment. Anybody remember approximately how many prophecies are in the Bible? What? 2,500. Yes, and approximately how many have been fulfilled? 2,000. 2,000. 2,500 prophecies. If I were to sit here and count to 2,500... How painstaking would that be? Right? 2,500 prophecies in the Bible, 2,000 of them have been fulfilled. This is impossible. That's impossible. Eight of them being fulfilled are like one in a hundred billion, I think, or a hundred million billion. We're talking about 2,000. This is, it takes more faith to believe in evolution or Big Bang. It takes more faith to believe that this isn't real than it does to just simply believe it. We will explore each of these topics briefly. The purpose of this exploration is not to convince anyone of the truth of God's word. Do you hear that distinction? We're not trying to prove that the things that it says in it are true. We're proving that it's reliable and that it's real. That's what we're doing. That's the work of the Holy Spirit, but to encourage faith and strengthen our understanding of the true uniqueness of the Bible. 
For example, to say, you can be confident about the claims of Scripture. Inscription found in a Bible in England. The Bible is the greatest of all the books ever penned by men. To study it diligently is the most worthy of all possible pursuits. To clearly understand what the Lord is saying to us through its pages is truly the most noble and the highest of my goals. The application to my heart, mind, and spirit of the truths of the Word of God through the Holy Spirit's gift of understanding and my subsequent obedience to that revelation is my supreme purpose and duty. So from the biblical manuscripts, the Older Testament, Tanakh, or Hebrew Scriptures, y'all been seeing, I've been prodding some stuff on Facebook lately. Yeah. Doing that for a reason. There's so much in my head and I have to get it out right now. So it's coming out through Facebook. No, I, I feel purposeful in doing it. But Older Testament, you saw I scratched out Old Testament in my Bible and put Tanakh. Hebrew Scriptures. Uh, let's see. Stephen, would you read uh, that first paragraph, please? Yes, sir, please. The Old Testament or Hebrew Scriptures consist of 39 books, all of which are considered by both Jews and Christians to be inspired, authoritative work of God. While there are some differences in the division of the books, uh, in the breakdown and, the, and order of each, the same books appear in both Judaism and Christianity. These books were written, updated, and collected by the Jewish people over a period of no less than 800 years. So is that confirming the fact that it was over the course of 800 years written, updated, and collected, and it happened over the course of 800 years? Is that something that should impress you? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 800 years. 800 years ago was in 1200. Doesn't that seem like an infinity ago? Mm -hmm. We can't even comprehend. And, and the idea that a book has been being compiled that entire time. I mean, that's crazy. Uh, Sarah, would you stand up and read the uh, next paragraph, please? Okay. The original text of the Old Testament was written primarily in Hebrew with a few portions in um, Aramaic. Additionally, several loan words were employed from Egyptian, Persian, Greek, and some other languages. Since there are no original manuscripts of any of the books in the Old Testament in existence today, biblical scholars use a variety of extent um, sources to translate the writings. Three of the major Hebrew texts you, uh, used are the, how do you pronounce that? Masoretic. Okay. Um, Samaritan. Pentateuch. And Dead Sea Scrolls. In addition to these manuscripts, the Latin, Vulgate, mm -hmm. and Greek. Septuagint. Are the great value of translation as well. Um, of the variety of sources mentioned above, the Dead Sea Scrolls are perhaps the most interesting. Okay, so I figured you guys might want to know, so I did a little bit of research on each of those just to give you a brief summary of what they are. So the Masoretic, Hebrew texts used are the Masoretic. The Masorets were rabbis in the 10th century who copied the texts and corrected any errors that resulted from when they were in Babylonian captivity. Okay? So the 10th century AD. This is a thousand years later. They took the Hebrew texts that were from Babylonian captivity, which occurred approximately in 500s BC. 
and they corrected any errors and they recopied those texts and that's what we found. That's what the Masoretic is. We found that document that was copied in 1000 AD. So you're like, oh, it seems so, so long after the fact. Yes, but it was still 1000 years ago. Uh, the Samaritan Pentateuch. What that was is, you remember how there was a split between the northern and southern kingdom? Well, the northern kingdom ended up with only, that survives to this day in some form, the Samaritan Pentateuch, which is just the first five books of the Bible. So the Samaritans were up north, and the tribe of Judah was down south. Remember, they were called Samaritans because they were resettled after captivity in Assyria. Okay? So the only manuscripts that they, that they had, and they'll say that this was what Josiah discovered when he discovered the book, the Pentateuch or the law, that, he, that they kept that and they've been keeping it throughout the generations. But the Samaritan Pentateuch is that document. So I went back and uh, let's see. The oldest copy that we have is from 1339 A.D. But they will say that that's what they originally found in 610 B.C. So I'm throwing a lot of dates at you. But just remember, the whole point is we're trying to go back as far as we possibly can and get as close to the original as we can. That's the goal of why I'm telling you these things. And the Dead Sea Scrolls. Now is why you'll understand why they were so important when they found the Dead Sea Scrolls. The Dead Sea Scrolls that they found were from the 200s BC up until the first century AD. That's the copies that they found and they found them in 1947. And when they found them, and we'll read this in here, there were tens of thousands of documents in there. They found every book of the Bible except Esther represented in the Dead Sea Scrolls. So up until this point, there were still some arguments, still some deniability, because we're talking about documents that are several hundred years after the fact. And then all of a sudden, a little shepherd boy throwing a rock in a cave discovers all these jars of clay with these scriptures inside and, and documents inside that basically prove everything that the Bible was talking about archaeologically. Wow. So this was enormous and then the fact that it happened in 1947 and a year later Israel becomes a nation again. We're living in these prophecies being fulfilled. We're living in it. So if you've ever thought about Dead Sea Scrolls, like what's the big deal? Dead Sea Scrolls, right? <laughs> That's what the big deal is. Because up until that point, there were still arguments going back and forth, but now this really settled the score. The Septuagint is the Latin word for 70. When you see Septuagint, think 70. So the tradition goes that that was the number of scholars that were translating it. So 70 scholars translating. So when you read Greek Septuagint, what they did is they took the Old Testament that was in Hebrew, a little bit in Aramaic, but they took the Old Testament I think the Aramaic part was Daniel, if I'm not mistaken. But they took the Old Testament and they translated it into Greek. Why would it be important for the rabbis 
during the first century to translate the Old Testament into Greek. Yes, the word was going out. Yes, the word was going out. And, yes, they could share it. So Greek was, yeah, Nikki, you can speak. You can always speak. Don't be ashamed or afraid. So Greek was the main language over the whole world. They translated it into Greek so that everybody could have access to it. That's why they did it. So the Greek Septuagint, you can still access it and read it. But that was found, uh, or that was uh, done in 3rd and 2nd century B.C. That's my bad, not in 1st century, 3rd and 2nd century B.C. Um, so, what is the Hebrew word for the Older Testament? Tanakh. How many books are there in the Old Testament? Older Testament. Except for the order, the Jewish Older Testament and the Christian Older Testament are identical. True. True. Yes. Uh, throw up Psalm 19, 7 through 11, if you would, please. Let's read this out together. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned, in keeping them there is great reward. Next. And scripture cannot be broken. So we see these descriptors. And what is David describing as he writes this in Psalm 19? What books of the Bible? The law. The law or the? The Tanakh, the Pentateuch, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. Now, Tanakh is synonymous. You can call Tanakh, and you're speaking mostly of the Older Testament, right? But you can call the Pentateuch, the Torah, the law. That applies to the first five books. That's what he's talking about. And he says that it's perfect, trustworthy, right, radiant, sure, altogether righteous, precious, sweet, rewarding, and unbreakable. Scribes and fences. The Jewish scribes who carefully copied out by hand the manuscripts of the Old Testament were called Masoretic, from the Hebrew word for wall or fence. Their extreme care in meticulously counting the letters of the Bible created a fence around the law to defend its absolute accuracy. For example, out of the 78,064 Hebrew letters in the book of Genesis, they counted precisely 4,152 Kaf letters and 8,448 Shin letters. <coughs> Isaiah 40, verse 8. Can you bring that up? The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. It's important that none of these words, none of these letters ever change. Because don't you know, if we get one word wrong, a new religion forms, doesn't it? Matthew 5.18. Alyssa, can you read that out, please? Sure. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen 
will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Now that means something a little bit more. Every little stroke of the pen matters immensely. They knew that. Jesus affirms it. Nothing can be changed. The Dead Sea Scrolls, discovered accidentally in 1947 by a couple of Bedouin shepherds in Israel while they were searching for one of their lost goats along the Dead Sea. After tossing a rock into the small opening of a cave, one of the shepherds heard the sound of something shatter. The next day, the men returned and discovered several clay pots, one of which contained multiple manuscripts written and preserved on animal hide. Several months later, it was discovered that one of these documents contained the entire book of Isaiah, a fully intact 24-foot-long leather scroll. Come on. In 2011, this website became available uh, to view the actual scroll, as well as another scroll containing commentary on and some text of the book of Habakkuk. For many years following, biblical and non-biblical documents were discovered in the Dead Sea region. Some highlights from the Dead Sea Scrolls. There are roughly 40,000 fragments, there's the real number, which make up almost 500 separate documents. Some of the texts are substantially complete, but most are fragmentary. The documents represented date back to between 200 BC and AD 68. 100 of these documents contain at least some portion of the Old Testament and every book of the Hebrew Bible is represented except Esther. Wow. Uh, Elder Mark, would you mind reading that next uh, paragraph, please? In summary, God, in his ultimate wisdom, had men place copies of the oldest biblical manuscripts to date in jars of clay by the Dead Sea almost 2,000 years ago. These documents were written on mediums that did not erode or corrode over time. At the perfect time, he brought a couple of humble shepherds along to find this archaeological phenomenon. Manuscripts that testify to the historicity of the, one of the oldest collection of books in the world, the Hebrew Bible. Hmm. So, describe in your own words the significance of finding a scroll of Isaiah from the time of Christ that is identical to the copy in your possession. Caleb, did you get anything down on that? I wrote only God. It would have been, uh, it would have been if it was uh, in the hands of men. It would have been corrupted, or lost, or destroyed in men's hands, uh, especially the timing. And I wrote in the year before 1948. So the Yemenite and Masoretic manuscripts. Uh, Seth, would you mind reading that next paragraph for us, please? Uh, on page, are we on 53? Uh, page 52, where it says Yemenite and Masoretic manuscripts. Consider the Masoretic and Yemenite translations of the Torah. Over a, a millennium ago, Yemenite Jews were separated from their brother Jews in the Middle East and Europe. Despite separate transmissions and copying of their Torah manuscripts, a thousand years later, only nine Hebrew letters out of some 304 
304, 805 letters in the Yemenite Torah manuscript differ from the accepted Hebrew Masoretic text of the Torah. Nine letters changed in over 300,000 Hebrew letters, a variation of 0 0.002 or 1 in 500, 500 of 1%. Not one of these nine variant letters in the Yemenite Torah changed the meaning of a significant word. Over the course of a thousand years, goes to show the importance that they had of being accurate as they copied. So this is all important because you're tracing the source. You're trying to go back to the source. Think about in a court of law, right? If you're trying to repeat back what's, what you heard someone else say, is that admissible in court? No. Nope. No, what's that called? Hearsay. Hearsay. It's inadmissible. So when we're tracing back to the source, we're trying to get back to the original. We're trying to get back as close as we possibly can. Now, up until now, as we're reading through this, you might be asking yourself like, wait, what kind of standard is set before people will actually accept something as legit? Right before we got to this place where they're about to show documents or where they show books that they say, yeah, there's no problem. We accept this is accurate. There's enough evidence. There's enough proof. Well, when you see the standard that they set for these other books and what the Bible has proven or what the scriptures and the documents and manuscripts that we found and what it's proven, the reliability and the validity of the Bible, you see that beyond a shadow of a doubt, that the Bible has proven itself as a reliable historical document. So, what bearing on the validity of the Older Testament does the Dead Sea Scrolls finding have? Keeping in mind that every book of the Older Testament was represented except Esther. Ms. Brenda, did you have anything on this? I wrote down the discovery so many years later of documents like this proves their abundance and importance during that time period and validates what we hold in our hands. That's good. Uh, on Newer Testament, uh, Valentine, would you mind reading this paragraph under Newer Testament? The New Testament which came to us entirely in Greek, although it may have been originally written in Hebrew, is comprised of 27... Or comprised. Oh, comprised. Yep, keep going. Comprised of 27 individual books slash letters. <coughs> the three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John, Acts, 13 epistles written by the Apostle Paul. Eight general epistles attributed to James. Peter 2, John 3... Jude and the unnamed author of Hebrews, and the revelation of Jesus Christ given to John. While some debate existed in the early church about which books were canonical, by the 200s, lists of the New Testament canon began to appear in the late 4th and early 5th centuries. Both branches of Christianity, Western and Eastern, accepted the authority of all our current New Testament books. Good. By the way, synoptic, if you are wondering what that means... It means seen together with a common view. So similar in content and expression. 
the way that they describe Matthew, Mark, and Luke is that they are so similar and they seem to be expressing themselves in such similar ways that they are related. That's why it's called synoptic, because synoptic simply means seen together with a common view. But John is not. The way that John is expressed is different. So, so over 5,000 Greek New Testament manuscripts in whole or portion exist today, making the New Testament the most reliable ancient document in the world. Come on. The oldest fragments of these texts date back to the second century, some within 50 to 100 years of their original writing. Complete copies of the entire New Testament date back to the fourth century, only 300 years after the events took place. In comparison, look at the following table, which contains ancient documents whose historicity remains virtually unchallenged by some of the greatest scholars and historians. So you can see here the Gaelic War written by Julius Caesar in about 58 to 50 BC. The oldest available text, 900 years later. Number of copies, 9 or 10. No problem. It's in. It's verified. It's validated. It's good. We accept it. History, written by Thucydides. No, not Siri. He's like, yeah, what do you want? 460 to 400 BC, the oldest available text, 1300 years later. Number of copies, eight. Histories written by Tacitus in 100 AD, oldest available copy, 900 years later. Number of copies, four and a half, no problem, it's in, verified, proven. Annals written by Tacitus, 100 AD, oldest available copy, 900 years later, number of copies, 12, no problem, it's in. The Bible, we're talking about thousands upon thousands of documents. The New Testament, even. How many times have you heard people talk about, ah, it's been translated so many times, who even knows what's real anymore? Man got his hands on it. They don't apply that thinking, that standard, to any of these other books. They're readily accepting of these other books that don't have accountability implications, right? So in addition to the sheer volume of actual Greek New Testament manuscripts available, the early church fathers' writings also quote or otherwise allude to a majority of New Testament books, preserving and attesting to the authority of the New Testament scriptures among the earliest believers. Once again, this data does not prove the validity of any of the claims of scripture. However, it does provide another layer of confidence for those who already accept the authority and truth of the Bible's testimony. All right, the crucified Messiah scroll. Katie, would you mind reading this, please? In 1981, the world was astonished to hear that one of the, one of the unpublished scroll fragments in included intriguing references to a Messiah who severed crucifixion for the sins of men. The scroll was translated by Dr. Robert Eisman, professor of Middle East Religions of California State University. He declared, the text is the most, is the most far-reaching significance because it shows that whatever group was responsible for these writings was operated in the same general scriptural and messianic framework of early Christianity. Although the original scroll scholars still claimed that there was no evidence 
about early Christianity in an unpublished in the unpublished scrolls, this new scroll contradicted their statements. The single scroll is earth-shaking in its importance. As Dr. Norman Gold, a professor of Jewish history at the University of Chicago, yes. said, it shows, uh, it shows that contrary to what some of the editors said, there are lots of surprises in the scrolls, and this is one of them. So great. I mean, it's so amazing that those Dead Sea Scrolls were found because it really was just this, like, <laughs> hammer really proving and validating and verifying this book that we hold so dear and saying it's legit to where the question becomes not, okay, don't question whether this is real. Question then, what are you going to do about what it says? So you can't question whether this is real. It's proven. Otherwise, you're going to have to get rid of just about every other history book that you, you hey, keep or any other record that you keep from back then. Right? So you have to stop asking whether or not it's real. And I don't know. People translate it. It gets lost in translation. Man's hands and different things. No. It's real. What are you going to do about what's written in it? Okay. This is the point that we're coming to. So this scroll being found that referenced a Messiah who suffered crucifixion for the sins of men was a really big deal. Too widespread to alter. Javi, would you mind reading this, please? Yes. The New Testament is the most widely quoted book in history from the moment of its writing by the apostles until today. Ignatius, the bishop of Antioch in AD 70, the minister responsible for several churches in Syria, quoted extensively from the New Testament in his writings. Clement, the bishop of Rome in AD 70, mentioned by Paul in Philippians 4.3, also quoted extensively from the New Testament only 40 years after Christ's resurrection. According to Professor J. Harold Greenlee, the quotations from the New Testament are so extensive that the New Testament could virtually be reconstructed from them without the use of New Testament manuscripts. Historians have recovered almost 100,000 manuscripts and letters from the first few centuries of this era that were composed by Christian writers. So great. So great. So now what we're about to get into shows other people because now if it was only the people who were a part of the group that were self-referencing and going back and forth and affirming each other that'd be one thing but if something like what they're describing happened with jesus and this movement then there should be records that go past that group of people there's affirmation and archaeological findings that affirm that are outside that group of people are we tracking together Okay, Ryan, could you read where it says Tacitus, please? Cornelius Tacitus was a Roman historian and governor of Asia, Turkey, in AD 112. It referred to the persecution of the Christians caused by Emperor Nero's false accusation that the Christians had burned Rome. Christus, Christ, the founder of the name, was put to death by Pontius Pilate, procurator of Judea and the reign of Tiberius. But the pernicious superstition repressed for a time broke out again, not only through Judea, where the mischief originated, but through the city of Rome also. Tacitus, as a careful historian with access to the government archives of Rome, confirmed many details in the Gospels, Acts, and Romans. Okay, this is good, because now it's not just these people all affirming one another. Now you've got people, even people that might disagree. 
historians that might disagree, but they're still affirming the things that are in the Bible. So it as a historical document that can be relied upon, they're affirming the facts that are in it. Does that make sense? Sydney, would you read where it says Suetonius, please? Okay. Once again, this is this is lending to this idea. If you hear people say, I don't even believe that Jesus actually existed. Right? That's silly. That's silliness. Because it's affirmed by people that didn't even they weren't Christians. They weren't part of his followers. It's being affirmed by people outside. Miss mm-hmm. Naomi, would you mind taking Pliny the Younger, please? Plinius Secundus? Sure. Known as Pliny the Younger, declared that the Christians were in the habit of meeting on a certain fixed day before it was light when they sang an alternate verse, a hymn to Christ as to a God, and bound themselves to a solemn oath not to any wicked deeds, but never to commit any fraud, theft, adultery, never to falsify their word, not to deny a trust when they should be called upon to deliver it up. Keep going. Pliny was the governor of the Roman province of Bithynia, sure. Turkey, in AD 112. He wrote to the emperor requesting instructions about the interrogation of the Christians whom he was persecuting. In his epistles, he states that these believers would not worship Emperor Trajan and would not curse their leader, Jesus Christ, even under extreme torture. Pliny described the Christians <coughs> as people who love the truth at any cost. Yeah. Mm. Amen. May it be said of us. Amen. Matt, would you mind reading where it says Lucian of Samosata? Lucian lived in Samo Sosta. Uh, <laughs> 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 a century after Christ. In his book, The Passing of Perunus, uh, he declared that Jesus was worshipped by his followers and was the man who was crucified in Palestine because he introduced a new cult into the world. He was a called a cult leader. <laughs> Mr. Michael Brown, would you please read Josephus? My wife will do it. Oh, sorry. Didn't even see it. Go ahead. Now there was about this time Jesus, a wise man, if it be lawful to call him a man, for he was a doer of wonderful works, a teacher of such men as received the truth with pleasure. He drew over to him both many of the Jews and many of the Gentiles. He was the Christ, and when Pilate, at the suggestion of the principal men among us, had condemned him to the cross, those that loved him at the first did not forsake him. For he appeared to them alive the third day, as the divine prophets had foretold these and ten thousand other wonderful things concerning him. And the tribe of Christians so named from him is not extinct at this day. Boy, that's a death knell, isn't it? Yeah. Josephus, a historian, not a Christian, but attested to these things outside that group, outside that circle, attests 
that he died and then appeared to them on the third day. This is also another attestation, not even that he existed, not just that he was crucified, but that he appeared after being crucified. Amen? Amen. So an honest examination of historical documents clearly shows the Newer Testament is the most reliable ancient document in existence today. True. True. How many copies of Julius Caesar's Gaelic Wars date to within 100 years of the original? Zero. Nine or ten. Nine to ten. Actually, no, no, no. A date within 100. Ooh. Zero. Date to within 100. Here, 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 here. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Order in the court. <laughs> he pulled a fast one on us. <laughs> he got me too. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> I repent, Nick. I repent. <laughs> <laughs> what did he have Good to though. do? <laughs> yes, I repent. Given that a vast majority of historians accept these works as historically reliable and many of the same scholars would not afford the Newer Testament the same merit, what do you surmise their motivations may be? Internal consistency. The Bible was written and transcribed over a period of about a thousand years. Its authors come from varied backgrounds and occupations. The rich, the poor, shepherds, princes, kings, priests, doctors, scholars, fishermen, peasants, all of whom dedicated their lives to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Over this period of time, by the hands of God's servants, the Bible maintained overall consistency in its message within and across both Testaments, even while the human authors display differences in focus and personality. The possibility of this taking place accidentally or by some human scheme is so minute that the argument must be disregarded as erroneous and shallow. Corroborating historians. Ms. Marsha, would you please read Africanus and Thallus, please? So they confirm that he died at the full moon, but then this person who is not within the circle of Jesus' followers is saying that the sky went dark. It was probably a solar eclipse, but then someone else is like, nah, it wasn't that. And this is happening between people who are not in that group. 
It's affirming what's written about in the Bible. Do you see that? <clears throat> On to Gematria. Did y'all pronounce it differently? Jumanji. You see Lord Jesus Christ in English. Then you see it in Greek. But then you see Aleph, uh, Beth, Gimel, Daleth, Hey. This is Hebrew. So we're talking Greek and Hebrew. Now, I'm going to tell you some things up front. So the earliest traditions have the Sopharim as the counters. And they counted the number of times each letter appeared. You think that sounds crazy? Yes. I've counted the tiles while I'm sitting in a room for hours and I'll just like count the tiles. And like, when I was a kid especially, right? If this book was everything to your whole society and you didn't have TV and your phone and all these other distractions and this was all you did, one of their jobs, counting the number of times each letter appeared. In the Bible, in the scriptures, in the Hebrew scriptures. And they ensured that they were identical. Most people believe that Ezra, the scribe, would have been one of these. They were militant about this because this was everything to them. It's not everything to us, for the most part. I'm speaking like largely. So for us, that's crazy. Look at other things. We, I mean, look at uh, st statisticians on uh, ESPN. Look at all that they know. Everything about every sport that's ever happened and all the numbers and everything like that. It's like, we don't think that's weird. I do. Yeah, I do too. But it just shows that we, if we put our mind to something, we could learn this. And we could, well, they did. So let me explain this briefly. So letters have numerical value. All right. Gematria drops the zeros. Don't ask me why. I don't know why they drop the zeros. They just do. We got to move past that. Can't get caught up on that, okay? We'll figure it out some other day. The day is not today. Turn to the next page. When you add up the numerical value of Lord Jesus Christ, in Greek and Hebrew, Gematria, it is 3168. You take the measurements... And draw a square that touches the top of the earth, the sides of the earth, the bottom, the other side. 31,680 miles. Drop the zero, 3168. You think that may not matter, but if you've ever read about the dimensions of heaven that's described in Revelation? 1400 stadia. Or, uh, do you remember that? Or it's talking about the dimensions of heaven. New Jerusalem. The New Jerusalem. If you set it as a cube that sits on top of the world, it goes way up into the stratosphere. It's super weird. You take a hel uh, an elevator all the way up to the top, but it fits perfectly as a cube around the whole earth. And it'd be touching the sides on the tops and the bottoms and the other sides. Okay. It's 14 or 1500 stadia. So if you're going to quote me on it, it's 1400 or 1500 stadia, but then take that and then make that the make that the uh, the measurements that he gives. So go back and convert it. I don't know how many miles it is. Okay, let's keep going. Atmosphere down to the crust of Earth, 
60 miles total, 5,280 feet in a mile. Some of y'all don't think this way. I love to think this way. I'm, I'm constantly thinking about 5,280 feet. I've thought about that so many times, probably a few times this past week. I just love numbers. I love math. I'm serious. I'm serious. So 60 times 5,280 equals 316,800 feet. 3168. Top of the atmosphere to the crust. You go from the sun to the earth, 93 million miles. Drop the zero. Times it by 5,280, drop the zero, that's 528. 93 times 528 equals 49,104 feet. 49,104, so we're doing it in inches, times 12. 589,248. The speed of light, 186,000 miles per second. So 589,248 divided by 186. I, I, I love this stuff. I love this stuff. Divided by 186, so you've got in inches divided by the speed of light, <coughs> 3168. Draw a circle around the moon and the earth, the perimeter of the outer circle, 31,680 miles. Keeps going. You take the distance from the sun to all the planets. By the way, I think they reintroduced Pluto back into the planets. Yeah, yeah they, they were wrong. They thought it was just an ice formation, but it's a planet. So it's back in. You're back in. Put a leash on it. Pull it back in. Add it all up. Add all those distances up. Divide them by pi. You get 3168. And Bethlehem, where Jesus is born, just happens to be 31.68. So ELS, equidistant letter spacing. This is something very interesting. The Bible codes are meaningful Hebrew words spelled out in the biblical text by skipping an equal number of letters. Y'all ever heard of the Bible codes before this? Yeah. Ever heard of, heard of that stuff? The researchers called this equal skipping of letters equidistant letter sequence. The hidden message is spelled out within the normal surface text by skipping an equal number of letters. Say every seventh letter. Letter. For example, they discovered that the Hebrew word for Israel was spelled out in the opening passage of Genesis by skipping every seven letters, and once again by skipping every 50 letters within a short passage of only five verses. Will you throw those up, please, Shane? And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw that all he made was good. Uh, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Two. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. First thing to be made holy. Because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So within that short passage that we just read, only five verses... We see Israel is spelled out by skipping, if I'm reading it correctly, every seven letters. I wouldn't think it'd be 50. It could be 50 in that passage. Is it? Is that the way you all read it? 
It is interesting to note that these verses where we find Israel encoded are known as the Kaddush. Kaddush. The Kiddush and are recited by Jews around the world every Sabbath. The word Torah, this is one I found super interesting, encoded in the Bible. When the researchers looked at the string of Hebrew letters beginning in Genesis 1-1, they counted forward 50 letters from the first appearance of the letter... Tav. The first letter of the Hebrew word Torah and found the second letter in the word Torah, <clears throat> which would be... I'm going to go out on a limb and say Ramesh. Resh? Resh. Not Ramesh. Resh. You're right. Uh, skipping forward another 50 letters, they found the uh, third letter of the word Torah, which would have to be... What is it? Okay. How many letters do we have here? We're going to have to do this. We're going to take our time here because I want to get this one right. All right. We're just going to go through it right now. So we've got the Tav first. And then we're going to have... Vav. All right. And then we're going to have Resh. And then we're going to have Hey. Okay, so look. You have Tav, that's the T, represents the T. And then the Vav, which is the Uh. Rur, which is the Resh. And then the Ah, or the, which would be the, the Hey, Torah. So the Hey. T O R A H. Tav. Vav, Resh, Hey. We good? Okay. You're like, we were good a long time ago. The Hebrew word Torah, the law, was spelled out using every 50th letter of the text. To their surprise, they found that in the first verse of Exodus, the second book in the Bible, the same word Torah was once again spelled out at the same 50 letter intervals, beginning with the first appearance of the letter Tav. However, when they examined the opening verses of Leviticus, the third book of the Bible, the ELS word Torah was not encoded. Oh no. The word God was spelled out when they skipped forward every eighth letter from the first letter Yod that appeared in the book. When they examined the initial verses of Numbers and Deuteronomy, the fourth and fifth books of the Bible, the scientists again found that the word Torah was encoded. But in the book of Numbers... Torah was spelled out in reverse at a 50-letter interval. However, in the book of Deuteronomy, it appeared in reverse order at 49-letter interval, beginning in the fifth verse of the book. The mathematician Dr. Daniel Michelson calculated that the odds were more than 3 million to 1 against the word Torah being encoded four times by chance alone within the opening verses within the first five books of the Bible. So what was that? You have Genesis and Exodus have the word Torah being spelled out this way. Pointing here, you've got Torah being spelled out in reverse from Deuteronomy and Numbers, and they're both pointing to something. And in Leviticus, God is spelled out in the book. 
equidistant letter spacing. Now, you would say, ah, the odds of that, you can find that in any book. They tried it. They did, because if people are willing to build a large hedron collider that goes around Sweden and France for an innumerable billions of dollars trying to recreate the Big Bang. Y'all know that they're doing this, right? It's called CERN. It's the name of a company. They're trying to recreate the Big Bang. They're trying to speed up particles to collide with one another. Not to like mention the idea, like, but where did the particles come from? So I, they forgot that and the billions that they... But they're doing that right now and they're trying to, to do that, recreate the Big Bang. So if people are willing to do that to get out of the accountability of this book, because that's why, right? If people are willing to do that, surely they'd be willing to grab a, a copy of War and Peace and see if equidistant letter spacing works in that book as well. It doesn't. It doesn't work even in the Mishnah or the other extra Hebrew writings. It only works in these scriptures. You see in Deuteronomy 10, 17 through 22, that was kind of crazy. The idea that Hitler is spelled out in a 22 letter skip. Also, Nazi and Holocaust appear in the five verses. Now, if someone's trying to predict future things using the Bible code, why wouldn't that work? You don't know what to spell yet. You think someone comes forward 100 years before Hitler and they're like, guys, someone named Hitler is going to try and kill us all. It's not going to work. It's in hindsight. You can look back and see, ah, he, he knew. He knew. Right? Along with Auschwitz, Holocaust, Germany, and several other words that had to do with that. ELS Bible codes are only found in the Orthodox Hebrew text of the Old Testament. No one has been able to locate multiple detailed and meaningful Bible codes and clusters within any other Hebrew literature outside the Bible. Experimenters have carefully examined other Hebrew writings for the existence of codes, including the Jewish Talmud, the Mishnah, the apocryphal writings of Tobit and Maccabees. They even examined modern Hebrew literature such as translations of war and peace. However, the scientists found no significant complex patterns of ELS codes similar to the ones recorded in this book and any other Hebrew literature outside the Old Testament. Several researchers have also found Bible codes in the Greek text of the New Testament as detailed in the book The Mysterious Bible Codes. However, much work remains to be done to verify this phenomenon in the New Testament. I find it interesting that when we think about a book written by God, I know, I, I, I don't believe that the men were in a trance and they were just like doing this. I, they were real people that were writing these scriptures. They wrote them down. They were, I believe that they were in their right minds as they were writing them, but something else was going on. And so when they're able to do things like this and get messages because of the equidistant letter spacing, that's when I go, and that's like, man, stop there. Man can't do that. Man can't put that together, <coughs> right? With a consistent message and different occupation and all this. They can't do that, right? So this, to me, is very impressive. And that makes me go, yeah, written by God, not just man. It wasn't just men with their corruptible nature and their minds and their writing about what they feel and think. All oh, the sovereignty of God is over all this. Amen? 
King David, Psalm 22, prophecy. Yeshua, the crucified Messiah. That's Psalm 22 is where he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, Yeshua, King, Branch, Jesse, Messiah, Salvation. All of these can be found in there. You can see in uh, Jesus and his disciples. This was my fault on the formatting. I put Jesus and his disciples found in code in Isaiah 63. Super tiny at the bottom of that page. My bad. Jesus and his disciples, their names were found? Yes. Yes. But not Judas. Not Judas. So this is in Isaiah 63. You can see all this was in Isaiah 63. And it tells you, what's that? I'm sorry, 53. Ah, okay. Well, it, it tells you the, the passages, I guess. Maybe it's where it culminates, I don't know. But you can see the passage where it starts. Uh, so you see all the disciples. You see Mary, Caiaphas, the high priest, Annas, high priest, which is crazy. Uh, which is true. True and crazy. From Zion, Obed, Jesse, Seed, Water, Levites. So you see, all his disciples are listed except for Judas. Jesus is my name. Herod, Mary, crucified, atonement lamb. Contains 40 meaningful words and only 15 Hebrew sentences. When I read Isaiah, Isaiah is the craziest book. Ezekiel is crazy. Daniel's crazy. Isaiah is out of this world. I love reading Isaiah. The minor prophets are crazy. The Bible's quite crazy. Yes. So do you find it plausible that consistency could be maintained without seeing each other's work across such a variety of men, times, and locations without the aid of the supernatural? No. We will skip to the next part. Archaeological evidence. For centuries, archaeologists have discovered ruins, tablets, inscriptions, and other artifacts that have lent to our knowledge of biblical characters, places, and events from both the Old Testament and New Testament, older and newer. This evidence can be read about it in, uh, in Bible dictionaries, archaeological reviews, and other academic journals and books. However, in the words of Alan Millard, the purpose of biblical archaeology is not to confirm or deny the Bible's claims that God parted the Red Sea, or that God spoke to Moses and the prophets, or that he raised Jesus alive from the tomb. What archaeology can do is, bring, is to bring answers to questions about the accuracy of the Bible in its presentation of ancient ways of life, customs, beliefs, about the history it relates, and about the transmission of its texts. Again, Millard says, to set out to seek to prove the Bible from archaeology is a foolish and misconceived task. Archaeology and the Bible are seen to complement each other just like science. Corroborating archaeological evidence. Archaeologists found more than 1,000 items of jewelry and pottery in nine burial caves across the Hinnom Valley, opposite the southern walls of the old city of Jerusalem. The treasures from the past included two silver charms with remarkable biblical inscriptions. These fascinating silver inscriptions were confirmed by archaeologist Gabriel Barquet to the Associated Press in Tel Aviv. While part of the text was lost, the remaining portion revealed that these silver charms contained the oldest biblical inscriptions ever found. The remaining text recorded the priestly blessing from the book of Numbers. It reads, The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. The inscription dates back more than 2,600 years ago. Wow. Wow. 
We're getting there. Y'all want to plow through this next section here? Yes. All right, Josh, can you read the Tower of Babel? By the way, this is not referring to the actual Tower of Babel that Nimrod built. This is another ziggurat that's in Iraq from the 9th century B.C. Ziggurat? Ziggurat, yeah. Yeah, it's a real word. Yeah, what is that? Oh, it's that <laughs> tower that goes up like this. It's like a pyramid. Oh. It starts at the bottom like this and then goes up like this and gets smaller and smaller near the top. Ziggurat. That's what they say the Tower of Babel was. Uh, Laura May, would you read the <laughs> Southern Saudi Arabia Joseph's Famine inscription, please? So you're reading an inscription that was found that corroborates the testimony of the famine throughout the world and everybody having to come to Egypt to get food from Joseph. Okay. No other work has ever been more heavily scrutinized or attacked by the scientific community, and yet the Bible has never been shown to be inaccurate. That in and of itself. Think about how many people hate this. And are spending millions and billions of dollars to disprove it. And no one's been able to yet. Otherwise it would have come out and they'd have been like, oh, you still believe in the Bible? They completely disproved that. That also should be like, wow. People have been fighting hard to disprove this and it doesn't work. That's amazing. Uh, and archaeological presentations and archaeology has verified the Bible's presentations countless times. Describe your thoughts on this subject and any conclusions you have come to. Tower of Babel. A former king built it. They reckoned 42 ages, but he did not complete its head. Since a remote time, people had abandoned it, without order expressing their words. Since that time, the earthquake and the thunder had dispersed, the sun-dried clay. The bricks of the casing had been split, and the earth of the interior had been scattered in heaps. Merodach, the great god, excited my mind to repair this building. I did not change the site, nor did I take away the foundation. In a fortunate month and an auspicious day, I undertook to build porticos around the crude brick masses and the casing of the burnt bricks. I adapted the circuits. I put the inscription of my name in the kittir of the portico. I set my hand to finish it and to exalt its head. As it had been in ancient days, so I exalted its summit. And then finally, uh, the Yemenite Arab noblewoman, Joseph's famine inscription. So one more from Joseph's famine. In thy name, O God, the God of Hamyar, I, Taja, the daughter of Jesu Shafar, sent my steward to Joseph, and he delaying to return to me, I sent my handmaid with a measure of silver to bring me back a measure of flour. And not being able to procure it, I sent her with a measure of gold. 
and not being able to procure it, I sent her with a measure of pearls. And not being able to procure it, I commanded them to be ground. And finding no profit in them, I am shut up here. Whoever may hear of it, let him commiserate me. And should any woman adorn herself with an ornament from my ornaments, may she die with no other than my death. Make sure you don't touch my jewelry. <laughs> Even after I'm gone. Prophetic proclamation. We'll knock this out. We got these last two pages. Literally hundreds of prophecies about specific people, places, events, or, and events were made and fulfilled according to historical accounts. The Old Testament records these prophecies as the very words of God himself. In fact, the Old Testament authors and prophets claim to speak God's very oracles approximately 3,800 times throughout the various books of Hebrew scriptures. Additionally, anywhere between approximately 200 and 400 prophecies were made in the Old Testament about the Messiah, uh, which Jesus fulfilled with his advent, ministry, death, and resurrection. According to one statistical analysis, the odds of fulfilling even eight of those, here it was, in one chance are one, uh, one in 100 million billion. So Isaiah 46, 9 and 10, did I have that one on there, Shane? Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. Um, yeah. Amen. Amen. Uh, medicine in Egypt. I reached out to him today. I didn't have that one. Uh, but 1845, Dr. Semmelweis, maternity ward. So here's what was happening. In 1845, this guy was going back and forth from corpses to delivering babies without washing his hands. Yeah, we think that now. But back then, they were like, yeah, that's cool. Dr. Semmelweis, he doesn't, he's cool. Started washing his hands. The mortality rate of infants dropped from 15% down to 1%. The Bible talks about cleanliness, about the washing of hands, the need to be clean. Sanitation during wartime, what was happening? They were going to the bathroom in the camp. It was happening in the camp. They were getting dysentery. More people were dying from the disease than from the actual war. In the law, God commands the people to bring their excrement outside the camp. It was commanded before they even understood germs for cleanliness. You read that and you're like, oh, why'd the Bible include this? For that reason. <laughs> germs in Numbers 31. Let's go there real quick. All of you who have killed anyone or touched anyone who is killed must stay outside. That's verse 19. Must stay outside the camp seven days. On the third and seventh days, you must purify yourselves and your captives. Purify every garment as well as everything made of leather, goat hair, or wood. Thank you, Jesus. Sanitation, germs, washing your hands. Before they even understood what germs were and microscopic this and that. Right? The Lord gave instructions to his people. The Lord highlighted things. Certain things were emphasized. And if we would have followed those things, we wouldn't have experienced. But in hindsight, we can look and be like, oh, 
He was instructing the people before they even knew about microscopic stuff. Life in the blood. You know, George Washington died of bloodletting. We all know this, yes? <coughs> they were trying to, so he was sick. And they were putting leeches on him and cutting him because they believed that they could drain the sickness out of people. And so he bled to death because they were trying to drain the sickness out of people. But the word says that the life is in the blood. Listen to this last one, vitamin K and prothrobin. That's why they circumcise on the eighth day. We circumcise our, our babies right away and we just give them vitamin K. But if you wait for the eighth day, that's when their vitamin K levels rise. Yep. Pain is the easiest to deal with. Their body's producing what it needs. The eighth day is the exact right day. Come on. No joke. While all the claims stated above are important to know and understand, here's Keith's statement. The authority of the scriptures does not rest on those claims or even on the paper and ink that compile the holy book. The authority of the Bible rests on God himself. He commands our time and attention. He uses his written word to lead us to him and to make us more like him. This is what the Bible teaches us time and time again. God is supreme. Walk in accordance with his will. And his will is revealed in his word. True or false? I can now easily convince every person the Bible is inspired. False. False. Perhaps the best way to conclude then is by exploring a few New Testament passages that speak about how the word Older Testament and Newer Testament is used in our lives to direct us toward walking in God's will. Throw it up there, Shane. Jackson, would you read us 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, please? All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correction, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So Paul, speaking directly to Timothy, states that the scriptures are the inspired words of God and are profitable for growing in both doctrine, teaching and reproof, and practice, training and correction. Romans 15, 4. Vicki, would you read that one for us, please? For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Amen. We can find comfort and encouragement in the written word because it reminds us of God's sovereignty and faithfulness to his promises. This gives us hope for our future deliverance. So we press on in him. First Corinthians 10, six through 11. I got this one. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ as some of them did and were killed by snakes, and do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So in the same way we read about, yeah, man, wash your hands. Yeah, take the excrement outside the camp. Well... I don't think anybody has to be told that nowadays. <laughs> but in the same way that we read about those warnings and we're like, man, if those guys would have only paid attention, the scriptures had the answers right there. The same could be said back to us, right? Amen. What things are we ignoring or not paying attention to? The answers are there for us. The examples are given to us. John 8, 31 and 32. Lily, would you read this, please? It's up on the board. 
loved him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Amen. Jesus' teachings, which are found specifically in the Gospels, but also passed on to us through the apostolic writings of the Newer Testament, are truth and have the power to set us free. However, the only way that we can truly experience this freedom, which is the fullness of our salvation, is by abiding in or continuing in Jesus' teaching. We cannot be merely hearers of God's word. We must do what it says. Remember the word hear and do are the same. That is to say, if we claim to be his disciples, we must walk as Jesus did. Final note on the various translations available, such as NIV, NASB, KJV, NKJV. We can throw in ESV in there, a little ADD, ADHD. There are some excellent traditions, translations, and remarkably bad translations available. We predominantly use the 1984 edition of the NIV because of its readability and faithfulness to the original text. KJV has been called the universally accepted translation, but it often leaves the modern reader questioning its archaic language. Some funny, funny verses in King James. There are branches of Christianity that will only accept the reading of the KJV, but this view is to be rejected because the scripture was intended for all mankind, not just those speaking Victorian era. <laughs> We have, however, no objections to the use of the KJV or any other translation that is based on faithful adherence to the original text. The NASB and NKJV may be excellent alternatives to the NIV and, in our opinion, are excellent translations. You can throw the ESV in there as well. Yes. Um, by the way, as, you, uh, as, we, as we close up here, When we are um, when we are reading uh, through the scriptures, what we have to remember is, no matter what our translation is, the goal is to understand the intended meaning of the text. Therefore, whatever translation we're reading, we have to recognize that's not doing our job for us. So we're reading these scriptures, but we have a job to do. And our job is to understand the original intended meaning. So if you're not there yet, and I've watched some of you read your Bibles. When you read it, I'm like, that. you don't talk like that. Do you understand what it's saying? If as you're reading your Bible, it does not make sense to you and it, it doesn't resonate with you. I read NIV, let me just be honest, because it's very simple and it's the way that I talk. I don't care what version you read. But don't be loyal to a version and not be able to understand what you're reading. Does that make sense? Are we all on the same page? Yeah. If you're like, nah, man, KJV, but you don't understand what it says, then you're unsuccessful. You have failed. Okay? So don't be loyal to a translation. Be loyal to the originally intended meaning of the text and do whatever you've got to do to get to that place. That's what we're here for, right? To help learn this and to get it in here. Amen? All right, homework. I want you to ask someone what their standard of truth is.
How do you determine what's true? And then be willing. Think about what they might say. Think about what the people might say. And then be ready to have a discussion with them. Not an argument. Just trying to see. What are people basing truth off? What's their standard of truth? Amen? That'll be it for this week. Who would like to close us out? Eduardo, will you pray us out, please? Discipleship Helps is a creation of the One Association of Churches. To find out more about the One Association, you can visit one-association.org. Say that I